Okay, we're into the sermon part. Thank you for the clock. <laughs> that was awesome. Was it you that did that? You just graduated, so you can do anything you want to do. By the way, I'm going to have uh, Roger Miller pray for us in just one second, but I'm going to forget it. It's his birthday today, so when, no, not yet, not yet, VJ. But when he prays, you've got to just clap for him, okay, because it's his birthday, and I don't want to forget that. All right, here we go. All right, so what we're doing is, is that, uh, oh, just a second. Uh, maybe I'm not even on, but don't click it. Look, it's Pentecost Sunday. Did anybody know that? It's amazing. It's like a really, really important Sunday in the history of the Christian church. It's the beginning of everything we've been studying for the last year and a half to two years with Empowered Series. It's this idea that what happens in Acts 2, after Christ has ascended, the Holy Spirit descends. He comes upon the apostles that God might start doing his work through them. We understand that? We understand that, that when Jesus breathed on them in the upper room, which was way before that, that people were starting to be made new because they accepted Christ. But then there's this second thing that happens where he says, wait in Jerusalem until powers come upon you and then be my witnesses. That's Pentecost. And it happens in Acts 2. And on that day, 3,000 people come to the Lord in one day. Okay? And after that, thousands more as God is doing what God does. Okay? So this is an incredible Sunday. We are absolutely going to be doing great service to that because it's totally in harmony with what we're doing with our Empowered series, right? This whole graphic is about the Holy Spirit coming down upon in order that he might move through to do his will, right? And that's distinct from being made new by the Holy Spirit, meaning salvation, okay? So everybody's supposed to be moving in it, but nonetheless, all right? So that's our Empowered series. That's what we're doing. And, and here's the way that we're doing it is, remember, we're looking at the book of Luke, and really what I keep saying is, is we're peeling back the stories of Luke in order to see the flow of Luke because it's that flow that shows us how Christ discipled the disciples. How did he raise them up to where they got to where they did what they did, right? And what we're saying is, is that Christ would still be discipling us exactly the same way, right? But there's an interesting problem we're going to find out today. We don't do this at all. I'm not kidding you. We're going to look at Luke today, and we're going to see how Christ discipled his disciples, and then we're going to compare it with what we do as an American church, and we're going to see we're not doing any of this, just like, just like you guys were saying. It's a totally different thing that we're doing in the American church right now, and I don't know how we got here, because whatever it is that we're doing, it isn't what God did. It isn't what he would have us do. It is somehow that we found some other way of sort of being comfortable with Christ. Does everybody understand that being comfortable with Christ is... A silly goal, <laughs> right? It really is. I mean, does everybody understand that there is some trial and tribulation that takes place? Could you guys do something? I'm just still a little bright. Could we find the new lighting fix? I, I need to see eyes, okay? So I, it's kind of house up and bright down. Yeah, there you go. So thank you. But, but so the point is, is, is that what, does everybody understand? I want to show hands. Does everybody understand that when God is discipling you, that there may be some times that you're going through the valley of the shadow of death? Does that, does that raise, a, raise a hand? You see all these people giving testimonies and witness to that when they preach up here and so on, right? You know what I mean? The bottom line is, I even want to take it further because we get that he might stretch us. But has it ever occurred to you that he might actually scare the heck out of you? H have you ever had that happen? You know, a lot of people would say, well, no, he doesn't do that. That's not how Jesus is. Yeah, right, right. Okay, the last time that Jesus moved for you to pray for somebody what was your reaction? Was it fear? Because with most people, that's what it is. When God moves on us to pray for somebody for healing, and I don't mean just to silently pray as we lay hands on them and don't say anything so that they might not hear, so that they might not be, we might not be embarrassed. I mean, when God says pray for them to be healed, is that something that you want to do? I hope you do. But I have to say, most of us, it's fear. <laughs> right? But wait a minute, where did we get this feeling that fear and risk was bad? I get fear and risk just for fear and risk's sake is stupid, right? That just means you're a young man without a full, fully developed frontal lobe, okay? <laughs> right? That's the girl jumping on the trampoline and hurting her. It happens, right? But, but what I want us to understand is, is that when we're talking about the, the kind of things that I'm talking about, this is, this is in everything. Have you ever been in a big game athletically? Were you scared before the big game? 
You bet you were, right? No pain, no gain, right? You got to be in. Julie and I watched, this is in business too, and in every area of life. Julie and I watched the Steve Jobs movie, uh, and, and let me just say, there's no reason to watch that movie. It wasn't horrible, it wasn't great, it was just there, okay? But, so I'm not recommending the movie, but I do want to say something. It really brought me back, for those of you who are in this room who can actually remember this, do you, do you remember a time when we, none of us had any computers? There were no computers in our life at all, right? And then there was these guys, Steve Jobs, um, Bill Gates, and, and what they were doing was, is they were putting enormous amounts of energy and time in garages to build something that people had no idea that they wanted. And the problem was is that they ran into all kinds of obstacles. How many times did the people who succeeded face death of the company, of the dream, right? How many times was it, we're out of money and there's nothing we're going to do and what do we do now? I, it really reawakened me to the pioneering spirit of what we all now take for complete granted. The pioneering spirit that it took for the world to be changed to be brought into something new that it doesn't even know it wants yet. Sound like a gospel thing? It's going to be risk. There's going to be some things, and again, now coming back to the point, the, the, the amazing thing about what we're doing in church right now, as you're going to see in a second, is we're not actually training up people to do this at all. I thought we were. I really did. <laughs> and then I looked at what Jesus did, and I went, but I'm not doing that. Maybe we ought to be doing what he said, what he showed. With that, Roger Miller, whose birthday it is, and he is 65 years young. He says, I got old. Has anybody ever met a younger 65-year-old in your life? Okay, right? I'm not totally sure your frontal lobe is completely developed, Roger. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at what you do in your life, and I'm like, hey, you know. <laughs> That's exactly, oh, see, there you go. That is awesome. All right, need to get his uh, microphone on, you guys. Go ahead and pray for the sermon, lift up another church. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning with very grateful hearts that we could be here to be able to hear your word and to be able to hear about the halls and their ministry, Father. We just thank you so much for what you've brought us through. And Father, I hope we all realize that it is for our good that you stretch us, that you make us more like you every time we go through a trial and tribulation. Father, we just want to put our trust in you and we want to thank you when things go wrong in our life that it really is for our good and now this morning i pray for kurt i pray that his words may be your words and i'm sure they are because he listens to you so father make us richer and better because we've been here this morning and i want to lift up lake stevens four square church with dan lorenzo amen be with that pastor that church that body let dan disseminate your word like we know he does amen. in jesus name i pray amen. amen roger that is phenomenal awesome dan is doing well all right so here's our passage for today here's where we are in luke just want to read it to you one day he and his disciples got into a boat and he told them let's cross over this side of the lake so they set out as they were selling, he, sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake, and they were being swamped. Water's coming in the boat. You get the point, right? They're, right? They're in danger. They came and wake him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. This fear thing, I'm not being abstract on it. Jesus is teaching his disciples something right here, and the, and the first reaction that they have to what he's teaching them is fear for their lives. Okay? We're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Then they ceased, so they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. All right? Now, in order for us to really understand and see why that is so important, I want to go back, and we're going to sort of fly high over Luke, and we're going to go through this flow of things that take place. So we're going to do a lot of slides, and we're going to catch this, and I'm going to try and move at a reasonable pace. But what I want you to be catching is, if you were in this experience, what would you be learning? And in order to help us get that, I'm going to use a little template. I'm going to use a, a, a device. And the device I'm going to use is, how do you get taught in higher education? 
right? So this is the template we're going to use. When you're in college, what's it about? Learning from others, professors, right? Here's what college is about. Learn, regurgitate. Learn, regurgitate. That's called a test. Learn, and then show them that you learned what you were supposed to learn, okay? Now, when you get to master's, what happens is the learning totally changes. Now it's learning for ourselves. Sure, there's some classes where they're teaching you something, but that's not what master's is about at all. What master's is about is now it's you doing research in the world to teach yourself about what there is in the world. It's not learning from one professor anymore and maybe a couple of books. It's you going out into the big wide world and discovering there's all this information out there. What of it is good? What's bad? How do I determine what good research is? What bad research is? How do I teach myself based on what's in the world? And you're in a master's program, so that means you're being proctored. You're being helped by professors that are helping to steer you. See what I mean? You, you, could, you, could, you could take that internet fantasy and call that truth, but here's why it isn't. See what I mean? Somebody who helps guide you to what really is truth and not just what a bunch of people are saying. See what I mean? Okay? Now then, when you get to a doctorate, what do you do? That's when you start doing. See, at that point in time, you've learned. You've learned how to teach yourself, and now you're supposed to be producing stuff and doing stuff that is happening and is making a difference in the world that others are learning from and so on, which is to say the even deeper thing that happens at a doctoral level is you start teaching others as they move through their college and master's experience. You see how it works? The, the academy, as we call it, is raising up people to the place where they can do what? Raise up people. Now, does that sound like something that we might know? Disciples making disciples? That's the pattern. So watch. This is exactly what Jesus does, and he does it in Luke. Okay? College, you learn from Jesus, and Jesus is college, right? Luke 1 through 8, and then, and then it does happen throughout the rest of the book, but Luke 1 through 8 is Jesus doing and the disciples watching, observing. See it? They're learning like you would in college. And then there comes a time at chapter 9 when it flips to a master's program. Because he sends them out two by two. They're doing research in the world. They're learning something in the world. But then they do come back. See what I mean? To be taught by the rabbi. What's true? What's, what's accurate? What did I learn from this? What worked? What didn't work? Why? Catch it? Masters. And ultimately, of course, we've got doctors, doctorates, when Jesus is now taken away up to heaven. And it's the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, where we are empowered to go and do this stuff ourselves and... Critically important, the missing piece. We're supposed to be training up others to do these same things. Okay, that's the piece that you're going to see in a second. is very problematic in the church, and we're going to see why in more detail. But in order to do that, I'm now going to go back, and I'm going to start at college in Christ, and I'm going to show you. We're starting at about, chapter, about halfway through chapter 4, because I'm talking about the times when the disciples were with Christ, so they were learning something. I want us to be a disciple right now, one of those original ones, right? Just be Peter, since he goes back the furthest of all, right? And just put yourself in Peter's shoes, and you are experiencing these things in this order. Very critically, watch what happens. Watch the learning curve, okay? You start out as a freshman, okay? And, and Jesus is saying, it's, was Peter at that first synagogue or not? It's not clear that he was there, but the way that he then goes over to the, to the house right after he gets done with that, it's, there's a possibility. But either way, they would have known. So here's the point. And he opens the scroll and he says, the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal, and to do all these things, right? So this is what the Lord has done with me. And so that's the first thing that they see. He says that. So what? I, I've told you before, I come from Venice Beach, California. There's people down on the boardwalk at Venice Beach, California that believe that they're God. Here's what they don't do. They can't prove it. Here's what Jesus does. He proves it. Here's how he proves it. There's a man who has an unclean, yeah, exactly, on roller skates. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's one of the guys I was thinking about. Delivers the man from an unclean spirit. See what I mean? Oh, well, now that, well, something's going on. Here's this guy with an unclean spirit, and Jesus casts him out, and the guy's different now. Huh, well, maybe I ought to pay attention to whatever it is he's saying, right? So Peter's learning a little something, as a freshman would, right? Something going on, something to pay attention to. Then he goes to Peter's house, heals Peter's mother. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? All right, and then everybody shows up, and there's mass healings. Now, now note, bookmark that one, because you're going to see that happen again when he starts training another group of people. 
But he does mass healings. So right now, if you're Peter, what are you thinking? Something's happening. <laughs> right? Something's happening. Okay? Then now, ah, this is so cool. The miracle of the fish. Here's what the miracle of the fish is. Jesus is preaching. He gets done preaching. He tells the guys that have just come in from their fishing. He says, take your boats, go back out and fish. And they go, no way. We fish at night because that's when the fish are biting. That's when they're out because it's too hot. They're hiding in the bright daylight, all this kind of stuff. You don't fish now. You fish when we fished, which was last night, and there was nothing out there. But they say, nonetheless, because you said so, we're going to go out and do it. They go out there and do it, and what happens? There's so many fish in the nets that they have to pull in other people. Peter has to call over John and James. See what Jesus is doing? Bringing in more people now, expanding the class. See what I mean? All of a sudden, they're pulling up fish. And to the point that Peter says this, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Now remember, he saw healings. He's seen all this stuff. And now, right here in this, in this thing, he realized what happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus and says, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Isn't that an interesting response? Is that what you would think? I don't think so. Unless you were really confronted with real holiness. And then I think it would be really clear to us that there is an issue. And it is a problem, and I'm not sure I want this. He's scared. You see it? And then as he, he goes, so he was awestruck by the number of fish that had been caught as were the others with him, John and James and others. Jesus replied to Simon, now watch. Don't be afraid, fear. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. You see what he's doing? You're in college now. You've been here for a little while. You need to start figuring out what you're going to be doing with your life. Okay? What are you going to choose to do? And I just love this. Just think about this for a second. The way that Jesus raises up the disciples is that he has a miracle of fish happen for fishermen. Here's what Jesus didn't do. He didn't have for a group of rough-hewn fishermen a bookkeeping miracle. See it? He didn't have a marketing miracle see what he did was is he went right to where they lived and he says I know right where you live and I'm going to show you that this life that you become so certain is the way that you think it is is not that way at all when I get involved he does a miracle of fish for fishermen uh, to me I, I think that's you can almost stop right there but let me not okay a man healed. What the man says is, if you're, Jesus, I know that you can cleanse me. He's got a skin disease. He says, I know you can cleanse me if you're willing. And what's Jesus' reply? I'm willing. So Peter's hearing something. Jesus likes to heal people. He's willing. Are you willing? Yes, he is. Now that's our freshman year. We're now going to the sophomore year because now we're learning a little bit more. We're learning stuff behind stuff. Okay? Now watch. Jesus can forgive sins. This is the story of the paralytic man. His friends are carrying him on a pallet or a, a stretcher, essentially. They come up, they come to this place where it's too crowded to get in. Religious leaders are in there, too. They don't know how to get in, so they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down to Christ. Now, here's what Jesus does. He doesn't do what he's done every other time and say, you're healed. Here's what he says. Your sins are forgiven. There's a bunch of religious people sitting there. What do they say? Blasphemy. You can't, say, you can't forgive sins. Here's what Jesus says. You know what? I got it. I got that you don't believe that I can do this. So let, me just, let me just ask you something. What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Which is to say, I can, I can tell your sins are forgiven. Are they? How do you know? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But there's no way of telling. What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or to tell this man to pick up this stretcher he was brought in on, pick it up and walk home? What's easier? And then he says, so that you can know that the Son of Man does have the authority to forgive sins. Pick up your pal and go home. And the guy does it. I'm a sophomore now. Wow. Right? I'm learning something more. Now watch. Matthew. Here's what Matthew is. Matthew is the, if, if you're, look, if, if, I'm, if I'm trying to do a good class in college, I pick the best people. I pick the, you know, the 4.0s and, you know, right, in college applications, right? You don't pick the person that, you know, was a drug addict. 
You don't pick the person that was a criminal. You don't pick the person that has no moral character because they're a Jewish person and they would dare to collect taxes from Jewish people for the hated Roman oppressors. That is not who you pick for your class, is it? Who does Jesus pick? Matthew, a hated person. There are a lot of people who don't really fit in the Pharisees and the religious people's idea of what religion is, and they feel a little cast out. And all of a sudden, here's somebody coming to them and saying, come with me. He eats with sinners. You don't eat with sinners. That makes you unclean. The Bible says not to. <laughs> and yet here he is eating with sinners to the point that eventually he becomes known as a friend of sinners. What the heck kind of deal is this? What kind of college are you running around here, Jesus? Right? And then he works on a Sabbath. Wait a minute. You don't, you, we, we cannot begin to comprehend how important Sabbath was, you guys. Do you remember something? In the Ten Commandments, Sabbath was the one that, of all the Ten Commandments, Sabbath is the one that Jesus said, if you don't keep Sabbath, kill them. There's a lot of bad things people did in there, like murder. In the Ten Commandments. The one that he told, told him, kill him, is the one that doesn't keep Sabbath. Sabbath was huge for people. The problem is it was so huge that they turned it into something exactly the opposite of what was intended. God meant by Sabbath for us to enjoy his creation and not let the world get dominion over us, even though we were fallen. What it became was a burden to the Jewish people, a legalism. To the point that Jesus is walking through a field, he's hungry, he takes some grain, he mashes it in his hands and eats it, and his disciples do it too, and they say, you're working on the Sabbath. How horrible of you to feed yourself. Because, and it wasn't the eating that was the feeding, it was that they, they did that to the grain. What Jesus does is, now watch this, this is really cool. Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. What's he really saying when he says that? Who's the one who made the Sabbath? Who's the one who commanded the Sabbath to be? Wrote with his finger on a fiery mountain with, eight, with Moses and so on? Who's the one who wrote down that Sabbath thing? God. He's the one who established Sabbath. And now here's Jesus saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. What's, he meant to, what's the synonym? I'm God. You want to understand what's really going on here? Pay attention. Okay, anybody can say they're God. You know, the roller skater down in Venice says that he's God. But, not the, roller, the, but the roller skater down in Venice is not doing this. He goes into a room, and, the, and the, they're waiting for him to heal on Sabbath because that will be a work. And they can, in fact, it's right after this miracle right here where he heals a man with a withered hand that they start plotting to kill him. Unbelievable, right? And what he says, he's waiting for them. This man with a withered hand, and they're waiting to see if he'll do it. And finally, he just gets sick of them looking at him like this. And he says, really? You've got Sabbath around to where it's bad to do good? <laughs> if I heal this man, if you had an ox in a ditch, wouldn't you do something good? you got it so kinked in your brain that it's bad to do good? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Stretch out your hand. The guy stretches out his hand and goes home healed. And then they plot to kill him. This is pretty intense stuff. That's pretty good college. With all of what Jesus is doing through here, he's restoring Sabbath and everything else to its original intent. There was an original thing that God, a spirit that God had in it, which we in our religiousness and our rules and our just legalisms, we had turned into something quite different than what God intended. And Jesus is not, as we described last week, he is not coming against the law and, and just saying it makes no sense and no value and I'm just going to set up a whole new thing. What he's doing is he's saying, this is what the law really meant and this is what it really is and this is what I want you doing. See? This is who I want you to be. I want you to understand the real spirit of the law. It's pretty good college. So now we're to our junior year. He calls the 12 disciples. It's not like they weren't with him up until then. They were with him. It was of the people that were following him that he calls the 12. So they've been experiencing all of this college, right? But now he calls these 12 particular ones. And then look what he does. When he calls them, he makes it clear. Your disciples, he does the same thing he did with Peter at the very beginning, remember? He does mass healings and deliverances. See, so they're going, okay, I was called, and now he's doing this stuff, and I'm sort of in an inner circle, what I'm supposed to be learning from this. Trying to grow as a junior in college is trying to do, right? You're starting to get quite a bit of knowledge. You're starting to look behind things. Now watch. 
Then he goes to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not actually the Sermon on the Mount right there, but we can call it that because it's close enough. It was just another sermon that he did. But the point is the Sermon on the Mount. Everything you believe is so much more. You think the problem is if you have an affair with the girl. I'm telling you, if you look at her with lust in your heart, you've already committed the adultery. You think it's this. I'm telling you it's this. You think it's this superficial, stupid little thing. I'm telling you it's so much more. You think it's bad to murder somebody. I'm telling you when you dismiss somebody, dismiss them as a human being, that's worse than murdering them in my book. See it? I mean, they're really learning, right? Everything you believe is so much more than what you understand. In fact, he goes to Centurion's house. You see the progression here? You see the flow? Is this pretty cool? I mean, if you were learning this stuff in this order, don't you feel like you'd be learning quite a lot? He goes to the centurion, and here's what happens. The friends of the centurion come to Jesus and say, he's got a servant. And normally centurion, Jews hate centurions of the Romans. But this is a really good guy. And so the friends of the centurion come to Jesus and say, he's got a servant who's ill. Please heal him. Jesus starts going to the house, meets up with the centurion. Hey, I'm going to come to your house. Oh, no, 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 I'm not worthy of that. You can't come into my house. I'm not worthy of that. But here's the deal. I'm a man under authority, and when somebody tells me what to do, I do it. And when I tell people that are underneath me what to do, they do it. So I know all you have to do is tell it to happen, and it'll happen. The centurion is a Roman, not a Jewish person, not the one who God's been supposedly with for 2,000 years. The people that really should know this. Jesus got, gets from a Gentile pig, unclean, Roman, hated person. He gets something that's so magnificent that he turns back to the people that are supposed to know him and say, there's no faith like this in all of Israel. People don't know who I am. This guy has looked at life, seen what it is, and he's discovered who I am in more depth than any of you have. In fact, he goes on. He raises the widow's son from the dead. You see how the miracles are getting like more? <laughs> I mean, you know, right? This is big. Somebody coming back from the dead? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, see, now watch. In school. John the Baptist is the greatest person that ever lived in the whole of the Old Testament. The greatest person that ever lived until you. You disciples, you people. You're greater. In fact, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Wow. I'm learning. Women with expensive perfume kisses the feet. And what he's pointing out, this is the woman who's, a, who's a, probably a prostitute. And she comes in, and it's at a religious person's house. And she is on her feet, and she's pouring perfume on there and kissing his feet and doing all this kind of stuff. And I did it with poor Hayden up here on stage. And... And, but the point is, is that what he's pointing out is, you know, it's the people that are well don't think they need help. It's the people that know that there's something wrong that are crying out for help. And they're the ones that are going to get it. See the flow? The person who's forgiven much, that's the one who's going to love much. So are you going to stand on your righteous piousness? Or are you going to let me really show you who you are so that you begin to realize that no matter how good you look on the outside, no matter how good you look according to the way the world would define what a good person looks like, and I don't mean attractiveness, I mean a person of strong, moral, upright character. And then when Christ comes and begins to show us what's really in our heart, what we're really depending upon, where we're really leading, what we're really doing, all of a sudden we begin to see, I need you. Because I'm not relying on you. I want to say something. I want to be very careful about this. If you've never had an experience in your life where, where following God has scared the heck out of you, it's very arguable that you're not actually following God. If your Christian walk has been very steady and stable and it hasn't had those moments in there, you just have to wonder. I mean, it's not the pattern that he shows us in the Bible anywhere. The pattern that he shows us in the Bible is, is that he's trying to take you from one thing that you were and whom he loves he prunes and pruning means cutting something off, and pruning, and he's trying to transform you into something utterly different than what you were. And frankly, becoming that is pretty scary, right? Some things we can all go with, and some things don't touch that. And he says, okay, I won't, <laughs> right? Do you want to be free? 
Women are crucial to the spread of the gospel. That's, that's not good God theology. Heck, that's not even good Reformed theology today in a good Calvinist church. Okay? But that's not what Jesus did. He pointed out how important women were to the spread of the gospel. He's doing it totally differently. He's upsetting all the apple carts. The parable explained. He takes this parable about sower and seeds. It's, it would be too long for me to go into it, but let me just say it this way. What he's saying is he's saying, in everything that happens in your life, I want you to look carefully because if you will, you will see that there's more going on than what you know. If you will take the time to wrestle with it, if you'll take the time to try and understand what I'm doing in the circumstances in your life, you will begin to see me. When you begin to see me, it'll be revelation. When you begin to get revelation, nobody's going to be able to stop you from shining your light. Because, because the thing that we learned in college that was so simple about you know, geology or whatever, that's not the thing that we spread evangelistically out to the world, is it? We don't spread that this is in this kind of rock and this is a that kind of rock. What we spread is, is when we've been working in geology, if that's our chosen field, and all of a sudden God shows us something astounding, a revelation, something amazing. That's the thing that we can't wait to, to share with all the world, right? We become evangelists for the things that we're excited about, that God is revealing to us. You're my brothers and sisters, you're God's children. This is pretty good stuff. It was a good junior year. Right? What happens in the senior year? <laughs> Some of you, are, you know, were or are seniors, whether you're a senior in high school or whether you're a senior in college. Some of you are seniors, and here's the thing that happens. The first three years of learning are awesome, aren't they? It's sort of like in a protected bubble in an environment. You get to have fun, and you get to learn, and you're learning all this stuff, and there's some challenges in it, and you're growing and everything else. But what happens about the time that you head into your senior year? Your gut starts to tighten up a little bit. Wow, the party's almost over. The protected, fun place that I've been enjoying so much is about done. I'm going to have to get a job. I'm going to have to go. <laughs> Somebody just got from college going, no, I don't have to get a job. <laughs> that is really funny. <laughs> that was very funny. But so the point is, is reality's coming at you fast. Right? You got to get, you got your senior year, you got to start doing internships. You got to start doing other things, right? You got to start stepping it up because there's going to be a transition happening and you can either deny it and then it'll happen and you'll be unprepared for it and it'll really be frightening. Or you can start working the process and be ready for it. It'll still be unnerving, but you'll be ready for it. Do you see it? See, when you get to the place to where reality is coming at you, what you say is, we're going to die. <laughs> That's what transitions are about. Literally, there's something in me that needs to die. And it freaks me out. Because I didn't know you were going to do that. But what he ties it back to is faith. And really interestingly, watch this. This is only the fourth time in all of Luke that faith will be mentioned. Has been mentioned. And watch how college the faith is up until now. See, the first time, as we've already talked about, is the paralytic on the stretcher. And seeing the people's faith who brought the guy in on the stretcher, seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. So you see, the, the apostles are observing Christ saying something about faith. Someone else's faith. See that? The second time it happened, same thing. Jesus heard this. He was amazed at centurion about the thing that he had said. Turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. See, but again, this is not the apostles' faith, is it? They're just observing Jesus making commentary about faith. Now, they can be casually observing it, in which case, when they get into the boat, they're going to be freaked, which is what happened. Or they can be trying to learn from it. He's trying to point something out that we're supposed to be learning so that when it comes to us, we're not quite so scared. Because the third one is the woman with the perfume. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see it? You know what faith really is? We can, if, you, if you've ever been, been in a faith movement, if you've heard faith teaching and so on, I, I want to say praise God for the degree to which they take faith seriously. But I also want to say, having been through that, there's also a way of making it so complicated and so twisted up that it becomes something 
something quite different than what it is. You know what faith really is? Faith is super simple. Here's what it means. Do you really trust me? <laughs> when I'm asking you to go and pray for that person and see them get healed, do you trust me? <laughs> when you get moved upon to do it, do you really trust me? Because if you do, what will you do? You still may be scared, but you'll do it. But if you don't really trust him, what will you do? We say we really trust him. And yet, what do we do over and over when he's leading us to pray for somebody in a way that could be embarrassing for them and us? See? There's something about, we're not being discipled. This is what God said to me, remember, five years ago that we've been talking about for five years now. Sorry to talk about it so much. But what God said, I was desperately unhappy with the American church. Didn't know what that meant. Spent weeks praying about it. What he started telling me was discipleship's in the toilet. People are not growing in me. They're going to church. They're giving money. They feel happy. They're, they're comfortable. They can check the box on the God box, and they can do all this kind of stuff. But what is not happening is that they're not actually growing in me. They're not actually becoming my disciples. So that's what everything we've done has been about in the last five years. When you get to be a senior, see, the real world starts coming at you fast. <laughs> Comes at you personally. Your skin in the game. Going towards that master's thing where it's about you. See what I mean? How are you processing it? Here's another thing that happens. This is a taste of the master's level, us having skin in the game. See that? That's what's happening at chapter 9 going forward. I'm just going to take you a little bit into chapter 9 and just show you how the master's class continues. Because here's the next thing that happens, and this is really important. There's a legion of, oh, I'm sorry, we're still in chapter 8, so we're still in college. Okay? There's a legion of demons cast out, and it's a very dangerous man. I just want to say something. When the disciples are standing right next to this man that people have to bind, and he still breaks out of their binds and chains, do you think they're a little scared right then? Do you think they're a little bit freaked out like he's going to overpower us, like he's done so many others before? Right? So this is kind of skin in the game, right? There's still a little bit of a master's coming, but they're still in college, but it's senior year. You're starting to transition, right? Senior year again. Heals a woman no doctor could. Okay, how about this one? Raises a girl from the dead, and this time he brings Peter, James, and John into the room with him. And they get to see exactly what he does and see this girl that was dead come back to life. Do you think they learned something right then? Do you think that this, yes, it was still college because they're still observing, but do you think that they're starting to get, you know, do you think any of them asked the question, will I have to raise somebody from the dead one day? Do you think that was in their minds? I don't know if it was, actually, because that's how we are. But what I want to say is it was clearly what was in God's mind. And if we look carefully and see what's behind what's happening, we'll begin to understand what God's doing and why so that we can participate in it so that when it comes our turn, we're more stepping up to it. See, we're more willing to college level you learn from, but there's really a master's level proximity on this baby, right? They're <laughs> watching this girl rise from the dead. That's a big deal. And now it's graduation. Okay? Alright? You get to flip the little cord. Right? You know what I mean? You throw your hat in the hair. We're graduated from college now. Now it's chapter 9. What happens at master's level? Sent out two by two. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over the demons, the power to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he said. Look at this. Look at this. I want you to understand that this is God. Your provision, everything. Don't take anything. Just you. Watch how I provide for you and watch what I do through you. No walking stick, no traveling bag, no bread, no money. Don't take an extra shirt. When the house you enter, whatever house you enter, stay there, leave from there. If they do, don't go to a nicer house, in other words. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust as a testimony against them. We'll talk about that when we get to it. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Now they have been watching Jesus heal, watching Jesus heal, watching Jesus heal, but now all of a sudden they're in the field and they're the ones that are doing the healing. And can I say, any of you who have ever prayed for anybody for any kind of a healing in any way or deliverance or whatever, 
When you first, VJ, come on up here. When you first do it, you know, and you're, and you're, and you're at this place to where you really want to pray for them, and you, you sort of, you know, you get the courage up, and you trust God, and you really trust him, and you go there, but there is, there always is this thought in the back of your mind, which is, I'm going to pray, VJ, be healed, and the next thing that's going to happen is, right? Nothing. VJ, sit down. <laughs> right? Right? We're just afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of messing it up so bad that it could actually be an anti-witness for God. Right? And we have to get over that badly. Because the fact of the matter is, is what he's doing when he sends them out two by two. It's a hands-on, learn-for-yourself research. Because you see, the master is still there, still teaching you. One, one benefit, I don't even know how to say this. They had Jesus with them. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Because there's this other thing that happens. See, now watch this. They go out into the field. He sends out two by two. But if you're in a master's level class, what happens after you do your research? Is that it? Is that the end of it? No. You bring your research back to a seminar situation. Six or seven people, brilliant professor, and he is now... Everybody is now critiquing your research. You read each other's research. You read what you did with it. And then everybody critiques and you talk about as a group what that research was, how well you did, what you could have done better, what you could have done worse. See what I mean? A debrief, which is exactly what they, Jesus does. He brings them back. The apostles returned and reported what they'd done. And Jesus took them away near the town of Bethsaida. See, they went back to go to the research. But now watch how, watch how it continues. They didn't get a whole lot of debrief time. Why? Because big crowds followed them. And Jesus having compassion, his gut being moved to help them, Jesus starts preaching to them, and then it gets late. Now watch what the disciples do. Watch this. This is awesome. This is what we do all the time. Right? We look, Jesus is preaching all day. We've just done this two-by-two two thing. We're looking for a rest. We thought we were going to get a vacation. We're not getting our vacation. We're not very happy about it. So what we do is we say this master's level seminar with the rabbi, the teacher isn't happening like we thought it was going to happen. And so we say, send the crowds away. <laughs> There's no food. I mean, we got a good excuse, right? Send them to the nearby villages so we can find food for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. And what does Jesus do? They're in the master's program now. So what he says is, you feed them. <laughs> How are we going to do that? We only have five loaves and two fish. I'm switching over to Matthew here just because it, it says it so plainly, but it says it in Luke 2. You can see it. It's clear, but it's just not as clear as Matthew. Look what Jesus does. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to who? Did he pass it out? No, we were walking around with baskets of food, and when we know there was only two or five bread and two fishes, and now we're walking around handing or letting people pull from it, and as people are picking out their food from it, it never goes dry. Do you think they're learning something right now <laughs> about his provision, about who he is, about the nature of human nature, about the nature of nature itself? Do you see this? The laws of the physical universe are being completely violated right now. Right? I've never seen anything like this. This basket just keeps, people can still keep pulling stuff out of it. It never runs dry. And even to the point that after they're done, they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Much more than they started with. This is a really good master's program. I mean, these guys are learning, and we're going to see in the coming months all the stuff that we learn, but this is a really good master's program, right? Okay, and then eventually it becomes to where we're empowered, they're empowered, but we're empowered right now as we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. So there we are. That's the flyover. That's the thing that I wanted us to do and to see, okay? I wanted to see this process, this flow of how Jesus raises up people, but now watch. So what are we doing in our churches or more accurately, where we're failing in our churches. At the college level, where are we failing? Who's modeling? 
There's a lot of miracles that go on here, so let me make that clear. There's a lot of prayer for miracles, a lot of miracles that happen, and a lot of people have watched people pray for people and God do miracles and so on. But let's just be really clear about something. If we're going to do the same kind of college learning experience that they did, there needs to be something happening here in church right now. We need to be modeling. Julie tells me all the time, Kurt, you need to invite more people to come and stay, be with you throughout your day and the things that you do. And I don't know how to do that. Because, for example, just yesterday at 7 o'clock in the morning, there was somebody that I needed to call. I called him, and God moved in a miraculous way. Now, I don't know. Do you want to be over at my house at 7 o'clock in the morning when I'm still in my PJs? It's not a pretty sight. It doesn't get that much better when I get dressed, but nonetheless. Okay? I'm just telling you. I don't know how to do it. I honest, I'm being totally truthful here. In a, in a moment, we're going to have a shorter discussion than I wanted. But we're going to have a discussion about this, and I'm going to be asking you a question. How can we make this happen? How can we make it to where we start modeling? I can tell you Sean Lumsden, whom some, many of you know in here, Sean Lumsden started doing something at his church. He said, we need to have healings, and if we need to have healings, we need to start doing it on Sunday morning. So they've worked into their Sunday morning schedule. They've worked in a way that they're praying for the sick, and then they're getting reports back of the people that are getting healed. And he says, the more that we actually put our hand to it, the more that's actually happening, the more tested we're getting, the more that people are willing to do it. Doesn't that sound like what God did with Luke? And doesn't that sound like what's supposed to be happening in the church? Right? But do remember, it's not just in the church, because do remember, it's one thing inside these walls. That's not a horrible place to start. But do remember, where Jesus actually taught him was not inside four walls. It was out there in the actual community with a bunch of disbelievers. Not just unbelievers, disbelievers. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach, the, to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is something we need to be doing, and let's be clear. We could set up a time right now. We could set up a time that's sort of a master's level thing, and we could start saying, at Tuesday, on Saturday at noon, we're going to come here, and we're going to go to the mall, and we're going to send you out two by two. How many people are going to show up? Well, you know what, not very many, but I tell you what, more people would show up if there was a whole lot of miracles happening here, right? If people were seeing things happen here that made them go, huh, right? If people were getting excited about, wow, God really does this stuff, right? I think he's okay with us moving in ways that are appropriate. We just have to understand it's always going to move us to a place that we didn't know existed. So, so I think we're failing on a college level completely as an American church. I don't just mean like Sam, I mean the American church. I'm not saying every single church or maybe some that are doing it phenomenally better than we are. But at a master's level, we're, we're failing on two levels. Do we send out two by two? Moreover, do we have a time that people can come back and talk about what didn't work out for them when they prayed for somebody? Debrief? Or they can talk in a group of people about what did happen, what the miracle that God did do, in a way that would encourage the other people in that discussion to, to move forward in this. Are we doing that? In the church, are we? Does anybody know of that happening anywhere? And I don't mean with just 10 or 20 people out of a group of hundreds, because that's happening. I mean the church itself, experiencing as the church, the body of Christ, the thing that Jesus is trying to disciple. I get that there's 12 and then onward, but anyway, so I think we're failing at a master's level completely too. And in fact, when we get to the doctorate to where we're going, I'm, we're not even going to talk about that one because I've already told you that I'm supposed to be doing that and I'm not. Other people in here are doing some and I'm doing some. I'm not saying I'm not doing any. But do you get the point? So for just a couple of minutes here, I want to have a discussion. And a real discussion. I want to have that millennial zeitgeist discussion. And, and I want us to talk about on the college level. If as a church we were going to start manifesting, we were going to start putting, our, putting it out there in a way that something could happen, what could we start doing? What could we do? So go ahead. Raise your hand. If you got an idea, just, just what, what would we do as a church? Here's what I'm trying to do. I could go and study this with the staff, and I could come up with some great idea, and I could come back here, and I could communicate it to you, this great idea, and about a third of you would actually be excited about it. Here's what I'm trying to do instead of that. I'm trying to do a millennial type thing. I'm trying to get the whole body of Christ to start engaging in a discussion as to how we would actually become a people that would actually be entering into the discipleship process that Jesus and the Holy Spirit have for us, how we would do that corporately. 
in a way that it would start making a difference and all of us be involved in the beginning of it so that all of us can start owning it in the way that this millennial zeitgeist does now. When you're involved in helping to make the decision, you become, you, you actually want to see it through, so you actually become part of it. So who do we got? Uh, uh, Mike, Michael? Okay. In the first place, they waited until God did it. And if we wait on the Lord until he is doing what we want to see happen, but it needs a focus there. I'm not and sure what you mean by that. Do you mean by that that we need to be, because what I would say, what I would say is, is they had the advantage of having Jesus right there doing it. What I'm trying to suggest is, is that we need to have that advantage too. Mm -hmm. We need to have people in this body that are actually doing things that, that, that are outside of people's comfort zone. But you're saying, wait, well, I don't understand what you're suggesting relative to what I'm saying. Uh, relative to what you're saying is relative to what happened at Pentecost. They waited about 10 days from the time that Jesus went Okay. Until Pentecost. Now, I, you got a great brain, and you come up, you, you email me stuff all the time and everything else. Mm -hmm. I love the things that you say. This is one time when I just want to say something. Here's the, here's the difference between that and, and, and what we have. Any of us who have asked for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and are moving in the fullness of the Holy Spirit have already had Pentecost happen. The issue that I'm having is, is that we're already we're post Pentecost as right. Christians and human beings, but we're acting as if we're pre salvation almost. Right. So I don't know how to wait. I don't know how waiting helps me on that. I can see we're praying. I can see we're seeking him. I was, I was in a church uh -huh. that did all those things. I came late to the party. Uh -huh. uh, and the Sunday after Easter, they would invite all the churches around to come and see how they waited on the Lord to allow God to work. And so you're saying that kind of... You're saying that kind of waiting that has to do with knowing that we can't, we, we need to wait in Jerusalem until powers come upon us. We need to wait until the Holy Spirit has led us so that we're not presuming things and just going out and doing something. Exactly. But you're not saying that we should just do nothing no. until God does something. No. And okay. it's a focused time. I got it. It can be even a planned time. I understand. Of I understand. a retreat at the church. I, and I, I would agree with you. There's a ton of stuff that we need to be doing in terms of of actually waiting upon him so that we're being led by him rather than just doing what seems right in our own eyes, even if it's good stuff. Are can, you familiar I, with the concept of the lay witness mission? Uh, I am, and we're going to talk ago? about that more in the weeks and months to come. Okay. Very, very much but so. But that, kind, that kind of praying ahead of time? Absolutely. Sharing Absolutely. what God's doing from, for those who are yeah. doing it and yeah. then doing it. Yeah. I, I have a step before that, though, because what I want to say is, is if anybody knows what she was just talking about, some of you have heard about Bethel where it's called treasure hunting, where people go out two by two and they do things. And we're actually doing some things like that, as you're going to see in just a minute. But the bottom line that I want to say is I have a little bit of a problem with it, and that's this. What we're doing is we're asking people to go out and do a master's level thing, and we haven't properly equipped them at a college level. We haven't actually showed people what it looks like so that they have a higher degree of comfort and understanding so that when they're asked to do the master's level thing, they're actually more equipped to do it. What our job as a church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're not doing that. That's the thing that's the big surprise to me from this sermon, where I'm sitting here going, dang. You know what I mean? Lots of miracles are happening, but we're not actually doing it in a way that somebody can observe to the point that when we start sending out in the master's level program, that people are more likely to get the response. See what I mean? Go ahead, Kelly. Um, one, of the th one of the things I've... I asked the teacher to teach, you know, and, and to use me as such, and I get to see things happening. But what I find is that some people don't give testimony to that very often. And I think if we had a chance to give testimony, I mean, there's a lot of folks in here that I know are actively doing those sort of things. And if we're, we had a chance to give testimony to that, maybe more people would see that it's, it, it is happening all over, the, all over the church, all over the family. In most churches, what they do is they say, okay, we're going to take stuff like this and we're going to offline it into the people that want to do this. And here's what the problem with that is. If it's important enough to do at all, it's important enough to do on Sunday. 
Because it's the whole body that Christ is after. Not just the people who are already there. We're preaching to the choir at that point in time. God's trying to transform all of us into this. So I'm with you. We need to be start thinking about that. What do we do? I'm beginning to think, as an example, what if what we did is, is we had, at the end of worship, we had a time where people raised their hands if they needed prayer, healing or whatever. And what if at the end of worship, we made at the end of worship a time where people would gather around those people just like we did for graduation today. They would lay hands on them and they would pray for them. And then we would give an opportunity for those people later to tell us if anything happened. And then start giving testimony to it. See, why isn't that part of Sunday morning? You get it? Okay. I'm seeing a lot of hands go up. I actually really want to hear from Young. So Jesse, can you... Or oh, uh, VJ, thank you. Okay, thank you. You got to stand up. You got to give us your name. Oh, stand up. Yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, hi, I'm Liz. Um, it's actually, I mean, it's pretty basic. And what we could do is we could just do classes, because like you're talking about college master doctorate, like just have like intro classes, like just like the basics of like. Uh, yeah. Hey, like, by the way, this is Christianity. Yeah. And by the way, like, this is just some of the things we do. Like, not like a full committal class. Like, okay, get baptized at the end of it. But just kind of like, yeah. hey, let's introduce you to the basic concept of Christianity. Let me ask you, Liz, if this would work. I feel like this is the class. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like what we're doing on Sunday mornings, I don't think it's the only class. But I think mm -hmm. it's the class. If we started introducing at the end of worship a time of prayer and healing, but then we also had something which was a debrief time that was available for people that are trying this mm -hmm. to get together in a smaller setting mm -hmm. and talk about what happened and what didn't happen and so on and have that be a class like that, would that be helpful? Would that help you? That could, but that's for people that are used to the church. I know a lot of people in the church who don't like coming to Sundays just because it's strictly like a religious thing and yeah. who feel really offended by okay. just being in a Christian environment, especially because now everybody's extremely touchy. Uh, <laughs> I offended a couple people at the airport the other day. Like, I don't even remember how, but I just remember a lot of people like, oh my gosh, like seriously? So I think by having it like on a different day of the week, I'm not sure how, but um, maybe just like on, Liz, oh, no, some other day, just you so may have just said the most important thing that's being said here all day. I'm really serious, and here's, here's what I mean by that. Does everybody understand that as long as we're practicing Christianity inside these four walls, that's why it's not going out in the world? Does everybody understand that the way that the culture is going, we're not being salt and light. We're not in the, we're not in the culture, in the fullness that God intends, and that's why people can have the stereotype. Here's what happens when Christians are actually being Christians like in Christ's day and the disciples. People were still complaining about them all the time, but here's what the problem was. It didn't stick. Why didn't it stick? Because they were making an enormous difference for good in the community. So people may still have their, oh, Jesus wasn't really God or he wasn't really this. And other people would say, you know what, go ahead and say whatever you want to say. Here's the point. We got thousands of people who were being cared for. We got people selling everything in order to care for people. We got miracles happening. We got people being healed. We got people being delivered. We've got all of this stuff going on. So you can gripe about this Christianity thing and have your, your gut get reaction to it from the media and etc mm -hmm. all the stereotypes but the truth is it's in real life mm -hmm. this is exactly what it is that we're trying to do mm -hmm. where we're trying to say there's something that we're supposed to be doing differently so as to equip the saints so that they're actually the saints mm -hmm. that's the part that we're going after so thank you Liz I, I'm, I'm really out of time and I went so long last week I'm gonna have to I'm just so sad. I really have to figure this discussion thing out better, okay? And primarily, it's just you guys pray that I somehow get talk less. I mean, this is not complicated, okay? It really isn't, okay? And I just, you know, I had a 30-minute sermon, and it took me, well, we were 25 minutes late getting to the sermon, and then, we, and then I went 10 minutes longer. So I, I got to wrap it up now, okay? So I'm going to wrap it up right now, and here's what I'm going after, and thank you for that. And thank you for this. Oh, by the way, let me do something. Take out your little uh, cafe-looking card, the sign-up one. If you want to be in a group of people that would get together and discuss what we should be doing about this, that we can bring back to the body and say, what do you think, and get more commentary and so on, I would love to sit down. I, you know, I don't, we'll, have, we'll bring in some food. We'll have a great conversation about this, okay? So would you please drop it in the offering that's coming by in about five minutes or less, okay? 
I want you to drop in there that I'd like to, I'd like to be on a committee that was talking, or not a committee, I'd like to be in a group of people that's talking about how we might make all of this more real at a college level, at a master's level, in the whole nine yards. Okay? Thank you. With that, let me go to this. Continue the discussion. Uh, post to Facebook. Post on our Facebook page, or better, post on my page. It has more viewers. It's more in the community. I like that. Then we get other people commentating. You can send an email to me if you're an introvert and you really don't want to do that, and I'll, I'll publish it in the weekly update and so on. Read that, okay? All right? All right, now here we go. Last couple of comments that I want to make. We're going to die. Got it? Okay, we're going to die. Okay? I don't want you to be scared about dying. I want you to be in shock and awe about God. Do you realize there's a second time in this verse that it talks about being fearful? The first time was because they thought they were going to die physically. The second time was because they discovered who Jesus was and they said, oh my gosh, what does this mean? They were in shock and awe about who God really is. Do you understand that everything we're doing is to try and get us to a place where we're in shock and awe about what God actually does, who he actually is? This is what we're going for, okay? With that in mind, let me just share this. It's going to take us a while to figure out how to do what it is that we're talking about doing and so on. In the interim period, you can do this. Ushers, go ahead and come forward with those little cards now. Okay? You guys have seen these stop and pray cards before. Okay, this is the new one. It, we change up the color and, and then change it, the placement where it goes and so on. Now look what it says. Lord, show me something that will help me recognize who you want me to reach out to as I go out. And here's what you do. You, this is my door at my home. Go ahead and just pass it out. I want you to take, just start passing them out. I want you to take at least, take at least one unless you live in a tent and you don't have a door. And then you can still take one and put it up on your tent. Okay. I'm telling you, if you have a door that you go out, if it's the garage door and you're going to your car,